Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family Radio as we continue our series on common Christian problems. But before we get going, I'd like to tell you about a problem we've had here at Faith and Family Radio. Our office building at the Family Life Center was hit by a tornado, and this broadcast is our first one back on the air. The tornado came through, uh, damaged our building on the outsides and broke some windows and things, but the tornado ripped the main power line coming into our building, tore the meter off, and then a surge went into our building, uh, fried the entire electric panel, but only one computer in our entire office, and there are multiple computers in our office, um, was hit. And that was our radio studio computer, along with some special equipment that was in that computer. But we're back on the air and uh, more convinced than ever that despite some opposition here and there, that we're to do faith and family radio. And before I get to today's topic, i also like to tell you about a newsletter that I think is fairly important. We just published in May. That's the dads.org newsletter. And if you want a copy of that newsletter, you just subscribe. You go to our website, dads.org, and on the main menu, there's a subscribe button. Just hit that, and it's real easy to subscribe. What this newsletter is about is answering the question, what should a father provider do right now? I mean, obviously, employment, business life is changing radically. Some people think everything's just going to bounce back. I don't particularly think so. At least there's a higher risk that it may not do so. So what should a father do? And I have some very practical recommendations of what a father provider can do in our current economic climate. And then I close the newsletter with several uh, quotations regarding debt. Our nation is going into debt at lightning speed at rates unknown in human history, literally. We are in uncharted territory. I begin with a quote uh, by Admiral Michael Mullen, former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and he said, quote, the most significant threat to our national security is our debt, unquote. But here's one for families, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I think it's worth listening to. This is a quote from an Austrian economist by the name of Ludwig von Mises, and he said this, there is no means of avoiding the final collapse of a boom brought about by credit expansion, that's debt expansion. The alternative is only whether the crisis should come sooner as the result of voluntary abandonment of further credit expansion or later as a final and total collapse of the currency system involved, unquote. So it's really a good time to take heed of family finances. And if you want a copy of that May newsletter, you can just send an email to askthehost at gmail.com, or even easier, just go to dads.org, subscribe, and that way we don't even have to have any clerical involvement in order for you to get that newsletter. Okay, 
We are in the middle of a series entitled Common Christian Problems. Christians have problems. We're not exempt from problems. And any uh, person promising, any TV preacher, anything promising that you will not have problems if you are a Christian or send money to his particular (laughs) ministry is a liar because Christians do have problems. And today I'm going to be diving into the very deep end of common Christian problems. I was gonna save this till the end, but with the coronavirus um, really uh, bringing the topic forward, today I want to talk about suicide, and in particular, suicide stemming from the coronavirus unemployment situation. I'd like to begin, and this is not a diversion. I think this is right on target. It's something my dad told me. My father was a businessman, banker, and lawyer, and he had an unusual relationship with doctors. Um, He was an ethical man in his business practices and would often arrange business deals with groups of doctors and such. And once he told me, he said, I wish they'd give physicians more training in finances as part of their education because he saw many physicians were being really cheated out of their money through various schemes and investment programs and things like this. And I realize there's many exceptions uh, to that. I mean, there are some physicians who know all about economics and finances. I'm thinking of Dr. Ron Paul and his son, Senator Dr. Rand Paul. They both know economics quite well, and they're physicians. So the idea is we have had a lockdown in our country based on advice from physicians who may be brilliant regarding medical research and such, but may not have a nearly adequate understanding of economics. And Basically, what I am saying is I think we're facing two crises here, not one or the other, uh, and a lot of people can't quite get that, and also our country has been polarized, so we're taking views of the coronavirus based on our political backgrounds, and that's probably also a trap. But the idea of a total lockdown came from a British researcher by the name of Neil Ferguson, And Dr. Anthony Fauci, who we've all seen on TV multiple times, he visited Neil Ferguson at the Imperial College in London. He took Neil Ferguson's faulty predictions that Ferguson had computed with 13-year-old software and brought them back to President Trump. And as a result, uh, the nationwide lockdown was advocated. Now, the numbers that were predicted by Deal Ferguson have been, you know, readjusted multiple times, but his software mistake has been termed the most costly software mistake in history. In other words, how it's affected the economy. And by the way, uh, Dr. Ferguson has also resigned his position because he broke the very rules his research helped shape by having his lover visit him during a uh, total lockdown. But in any case, are you saying, Steve, that the coronavirus isn't serious? And I'm saying nothing of the sort. It is serious, especially for those with compromised immune systems. 
But unlike a lot of physicians who may not have thought adequately about the economic impact, I am saying we are facing two life-threatening crises, health and economic. Now, when I say economic, a lot of people say, oh, well, you're one of those greedy, selfish, money-grabbing murderers. Um, No, I'm not. (laughs) And here's why, and hence this broadcast. Last week, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Powell, reported that 40% of households making less than $40,000 a year lost a job in March. 40% of people who are obviously having a difficult time with $40,000 a year in today's climate, it's tough to make it and then to lose a job. This is, in other words, the economic consequences of the coronavirus crisis is hitting the most vulnerable the greatest. And here is a verse that I haven't heard mentioned, but it needs to be repeated. It's from Sirach, and Sirach is at one of the seven books of the Bible, not in Protestant Bibles, but it's certainly worth hearing. And Sirach, by the way, was widely used in the early church. This is from Sirach, chapter 34 and verse 22. Listen carefully. To take away a neighbor's living is to murder him. To deprive an employee of his wages is to shed blood. And those who have necessity just for their bare existence, a roof over their head, food for themselves and their families, to take away a neighbor's living is to murder him to deprive an employee of his wages is to shed blood. Again, that's Sirach 34 and verse 22. Now, we are in right now, I mean right, right now, the largest spike in unemployment in all of U.S. history. Just last week, 2.9 million Americans filed the initial claims for unemployment. And even the government's official statistics for unemployment um, say we've moved from a 5% unemployment percentage to a 15% unemployment rate. And that's a, a tripling of the unemployment rate. And many feel that that percentage and the numbers reported by the government are quite low. There's a website called shadow stats or shadow statistics, and they feel the actual unemployment rate is at 35%. But whether it's 15% or 35%, both are unprecedented in the spike that we have seen. Now, why is that important? Let's move back in history. The highest suicide rate in America's history was during the Great Depression. And following the stock market crash of 1929, the suicide rate skyrocketed 50%. This is why I'm talking about we are facing a dual crisis to human life, both health, which is a serious crisis, and economic, which is also a serious crisis. Now, here we come 
to the work of Dr. Stephen Stack, who is a professor at Wayne State University, and he's fairly widely known for his work on suicide prevention. You can Google Stephen Stack, uh, Wayne State at USA Today newspaper or through Wikipedia and can find about him. But here is his findings. Suicide is not strongly correlated with the economy, not the overall economy, but with unemployment. In the modern era, for every 1% increase in the unemployment rate, and remember, we are now in unprecedented territory for the spike in unemployment. For every 1% increase in the unemployment rate, there has typically been an increase about 1% in suicides. And the exact number is 0.078%. In other words, almost 1%, almost one for one. So when you read about the unemployment rates, which are kind of minimized actually on the reporting, they get about one-tenth to 20% of the reporting of the situation with the coronavirus compared to the health crisis. But we're talking about when you see a 1% increase in unemployment, you can say, just about, not quite, a 1% increase in the suicide rate because unemployment is a well-established factor in suicide. Suicide has a multi-dimensional causes, but today we're talking about unemployment because one in three people who die by suicide are unemployed at the time of their deaths. So I just did a few numbers just to put in perspective. And again, I'm not an either-or person when it comes to this. I'm talking about both and. We have two crises. We're very well aware of the health one, at least we should be by now. But we have a second crisis that is facing us right now. And I went to some stats within South Carolina because the huge numbers globally or nationally are I don't know, kind of hard to relate to. So I thought, let me just bring it back to my home state, South Carolina. Okay, so far in 2020, there have been 399 deaths from the coronavirus um, just in, what, five and a half months, almost six months. Now, I went to the suicide rates for South Carolina, and the last figures I could find were 2017. Now, this is for 12 months. There were 838 suicides in South Carolina annually. So if I take the 399 deaths from the coronavirus almost six months and double it, it's still less than the suicide rate in South Carolina. And again, I'm not saying neglect one and jump to the other. I'm not talking about extremes. I'm talking about enlarging our minds to embrace the fact we're facing a dual crisis. Okay, And I will be talking the rest of this broadcast, things we can be doing about it, in fact, next episode as well. And if you want to compare it as well, in South Carolina, in a year, there's over 1,000 deaths from drug overdoses. So if you take suicides and drug overdoses, it's a far more serious, life-threatening problem in South Carolina than the coronavirus. And I'm not saying we work at reducing suicides and forget the health aspect. No, we want to bring them both together. It's not one or the other. 
Now, what do you do? This is where it gets tricky. Do you just call um, somebody you find uh, a local psychologist or somebody who happens to be a Catholic and a therapist in your community if somebody has uh, a risk of suicide? Well, here's the problem. Therapists are rarely trained in suicide prevention. And I would just put a question mark. Clergy, um, I mean, in my past, I was trained as a Protestant clergyman and yet and in pastoral counseling, but there was probably minimal uh, suicide prevention training. Let me try to illustrate this. This may be a horrible illustration, but whatever. It's the best I could come up with. Let's say you had a DUI. You were arrested for drunk driving and even maybe crashed somebody's car in the process and hurt somebody. So you're, you're facing serious problems. So you want to hire a lawyer. Now, If you go out and hire a real estate lawyer to give you a criminal defense, you're probably going to go to jail because he's not trained in criminal law. There's different types of law. You want a criminal lawyer if you're going to face a criminal charge. And if you're looking for a therapist, you want a therapist who's trained in suicide prevention. And from what I've been able to find out, about half of psychology students receive formal classroom training on suicide during graduate education, about half, okay? It drops further, about 25% of social workers receive suicide prevention training, and marriage and family therapists receive even less. Now, the exception is psychologists and most of uh, psychiatrists do receive uh, some level of suicide prevention training. Listen to this from David Jobes, who is the director of Catholic University of America's Suicide Prevention Lab. Quote, a well-intentioned and otherwise competent therapist who does not know how to effectively treat a suicidal person can result in the most tragic mental treatment outcome possible. In certain cases of suicidal risk, informed versus uninformed therapy can make the difference between a life saved or a premature death for someone who cannot bear their suffering any further. And let me give an example of what I came across in the Journal of uh, Biblical Counseling, and it's the idea of an overreaction by untrained therapists. And with suicide, and this, bring it right home. This could be a friend. This could be an acquaintance. could be a coworker. could be a member of your extended family or a member of your immediate family because problems are common to all human beings and there's certain pressures that come upon a person but there's a danger of overreacting. And a untrained therapist, as well as a family that overreacts, they become scared to death when they hear the word suicide. And if they haven't had training to assess the risk, there's ways that professionally trained therapists can basically fish out of a person who mentions the word suicide or says he's contemplated it or she uh, to kind of evaluate and put on a scale how, how great is that risk? Well, what's the big deal about that? Well, it's this. Uh, 
if there's an immediate overreaction for a low risk and then somebody is involuntarily hospitalized, well, (laughs) that triggered reaction basically causes the risk of suicide to actually go up after that person is released from hospitalizations. You see how tr- this is this is a difficult situation and it's not an easy one in order to deal with. So uh, what can families do? What can the church do with an impending suicide crisis? Now, here is my thought and I, I've heard this expressed by many others. It could be wrong, but I do think there's a distinct possibility of a second wave of the coronavirus coming late next fall and winter, okay? Now, let's say somebody is already unemployed. We've seen where a 1% increase in the unemployment rate relates to about a 1% increase in the suicide rate. We're already in unprecedented territory as far as the spike in unemployment. And let's say somebody is really dealing with that in a very heavy way. And by the way, uh, suicide hotlines are already ringing off the hook uh, already uh, during the coronavirus lockdown. And what if we're going through and we approach the late fall Christmas season, which tends to put a lot of stress on people, by the way, um, and we get another lockdown we're gonna have another economic challenge. Already unemployed, maybe found another work and got laid off again, or maybe didn't find another work and the economy is gonna tank or whatever. I'm just saying this is a possibility. I'm not not saying this is gonna happen. What if it did? We could be facing a suicide crisis, the like of which we haven't seen since the Great Depression. And let me, just share with you something I've come across from St. John Paul II. And he was talking about social communication, so it was on another topic. But it's a little bit of a sore point with me in that, um, to its credit, I guess you could say, the Catholic Church doesn't change. You know, the whole world wants to change morality. Catholic Church doesn't change its morality. The whole world wants to say, well, you know, truth is variable. The Catholic Church says truth is absolute. But at times, we do need to change in order to meet human need. And this is what St. John Paul II says. It's not enough to wait for things to happen or to act in a random way. Now is the time for concrete and effective planning. So what is the most effective organization on earth for meeting human need? And in my opinion, that's the Catholic Church. What is it going to do with the high probability we're facing a skyrocketing suicide rate? And we're talking about life and death, and we're talking about people who have given up on life, and we're, this is where the church can shine in doing this. So what are we going to do? Well, again, it would be a mistake to simply say, go to the therapist or maybe somebody who does marital counseling Maybe there's a, maybe around a 25% probability that they had some level of suicide training. But if not, you could be making a bad situation worse. So how are we going to get trained counselors or priests 
able to refer someone uh, to a trained suicide prevention counselor? Well, I'd say now is the time to identify them. I don't know of any. I'm not saying they're not here in Greenville area or even in South Carolina, but we need to find them now. And why couldn't each diocese have a priest now sent for specialized training in suicide prevention? He could serve sort of like an exorcist. There's not an exorcist in every parish or even every deanery, but at least each diocese should have someone that if a priest talks with a parishioner and finds they have a certain spiritual need to maybe just be interviewed by an exorcist, well, then they can refer. What about the same thing in confession? Father, I've had thoughts of harming myself. What do you do? Because promises not to harm yourself are ineffective. (laughs) They found that out. So what do you do? Um, I would say that training and having a hotline that's faith-based would be an excellent thing to do. And, um, you know, I certainly need help in how you go about that, but I'm just putting it out there. There's the need. I'm, sh- I'm sharing with you John Paul II's inspiration to get with it, okay? Get with it now. Here's some of the things that uh, I'm going to be sharing with you. In the next episode, I want to talk about fathers because uh, wives need to be aware of the burden unemployment can place upon their husbands. About 78% of those who kill themselves by suicide are men, and wives need to be aware of what's going on and how you can kind of broach the subject without an overreaction or a meltdown and such. That's very important. I want to talk about farmers. I think they've gotten a really bad shake. Their suicide rate is already skyrocketing. I want to talk about teen suicides and how you can cut the suicide rate for women by fivefold. And then finally, it has been shown that certain safety plans by those who are struggling with self-harm can cut suicidal acts in half by following a safety plan. And I have the safety plan. I'm looking at it right here. I'll be sharing it with you. It's just, it's a, it's basically, you know, those who plan, fail to plan, you've heard it, uh, plan to fail, but a safety plan is a very simple, common sense, one page plan of what somebody who's struggling with thoughts of self-harm can turn to either in mild situations or even in acute situations, and it showed it cuts the rate of suicide for those who are practicing this in half. And I want to be sharing with you all that in the next episode. But for now, I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 285 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.